We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone. Of course, on the night of the resurrection, that's exactly what happened. The stone was rolled away. Let's continue to read the story. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, Christopher told you the story that she died on the way after she had had Benjamin. After she had had Benjamin, she died. They were on their way through Canaan, and they were coming up, and she died. You know where she died? Just outside of Bethlehem. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath. That's the old name for Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar at her grave. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel or Jacob journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. So he built a tower to commemorate her burial place, which, as the scripture shows us, was just outside of Bethlehem. Isn't that interesting? The tower is called Migdal Eder, or the Tower of the Flock. And it is also in the same book as the prophecy of where Jesus was to be born. In Micah, it speaks about Bethlehem, Epaphratha, though thou be one of the smallest villages of Israel, out of, he, out of you shall come he that is to be ruler, who, whose goings forth have been from everlasting. Well, there's more in that book. There's more a specific prophecy in that book. Because we see that happened chance, or maybe not happened chance, that's where Rachel died. The shepherdess died just outside of Bethlehem. And there was a tower built by Jacob to commemorate her death. And in that book of Micah, there is a second prophecy that talks about that very spot. Micah 4 verse 8. And thou, O tower of the flock... The stronghold of the daughter of Zion. Unto thee shall it come. Shall what come? Even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So this prophecy, Micah 4.8, tells that something was going to come from this tower. This tower was built just outside the city or the village of Jerusalem. And it's called the Tower of the Flock. Many hundreds of years later, the shepherds of that area started to use that tower as a place to birth the sheep. Because these were not ordinary shepherds, but they were special shepherds. 
because Bethlehem actually is not that far from Jerusalem. It is actually only about five miles. It's closer, it's closer to Jerusalem than my house is to this church. That's what a lot of people don't know. And it was the land for sheep. It was the center of raising sheep. Now the revelation of this mystery is when the law was given, God instituted a series of sacrifices that Israel were supposed to do. And one of the most important ones was called the morning and the evening sacrifice. And it was for the nation of Israel. It was the sin offering. Now this particular sacrifice had to be done every single day. No matter what else happened, that sacrifice was done even on the day of atonement. The morning and the evening sacrifice was still given. And the morning and the evening sacrifice consisted of, guess what? What was being sacrificed? A lamb. A baby lamb. And this lamb had to be perfect. This lamb had to be perfect. This lamb could not have any blemish. We see this starting in Genesis. Genesis 4-2. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was what? A shepherd, a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, the best. And of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel, unto his offering. So... Right from Genesis, there was this understanding that there had to be a sacrifice for sin. We, we taught about that and how God made them coats of skin coverings and the blood was for the covering of the soul, but the, the coat was for the, for the outside. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So this sacrifice had to be perfect, as perfect as they could. So they would examine the baby sheep and then they would be chosen. They would be chosen for the sacrifice. But this was a very big job because you needed two sheep, two, two lambs, every single day of the year. That's a lot of lambs. You needed a huge flock to provide for the sacrifice that had to be done every day. Anyone got a calculator? How many is that? You need two, 365 days a year. Over 700 lambs for the year. That meant that you had to have flocks of sheep. These shepherds then were in the employ of the temple. They were the keepers of the sheep that were going to produce the morning and the evening sacrifice that had been set up all the way back under Moses. Numbers 28, verse 1. Are you enjoying this story so far? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel 
and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifice is made by fire for a sweet savor unto me, and he shall observe to offer unto me in due season. And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire which shall, you shall offer unto the Lord two lambs of the first year without spot day by day. So over 700 perfect lambs had to be found throughout the year, two per day. So these shepherds were not just ordinary shepherds. They were no doubt of the tribe of Levi. They were shepherds keeping the sheep that were going to be used for the temple sacrifice. Anyone had a pet? Anyone got, any of you got pets? It must have been a very, to me, difficult job to have to do this every day. To pick out a little baby lamb, innocent lamb, two of them, and take them to the temple to be killed every single day. The procedure for doing it had been laid out. The first hour, which would be about at nine o'clock, the first lamb is brought out and tied to the altar at dawn. The high priest then prepares the altar. At the third hour, which was 9 a.m. to noon, the first lamb is sacrificed at 9 a.m. That's the morning sacrifice. At the sixth hour, that's at noon, the second lamb is brought out and is tied to the altar. And at 3 o'clock, that lamb would be killed. Of course, Jesus fulfilled that exactly. Bible says he was crucified at the third hour of the day. And he died at the ninth hour of the day. He fulfilled the morning and the evening sacrifice. Now you begin to see why God chose these shepherds. More than 700 perfect lambs a year had to be selected for the sacrifice. Where did they get them from? Well, obviously they had to have flocks. Mark fifteen twenty-five, And it was the third hour and they crucified him. Jesus fulfilled the morning and evening sacrifice, which was for the sins of the nation. The high priest in Mark 10 said, it's better that this man should die for the sins of the nation. And they crucified him. And then he actually died, Mark 15, 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? He fulfilled the prophecy that John the Baptist said when he saw him. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Behold, he calleth for Elias, and one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar. And put it on a reed and gave him to drink. Saying, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come 
and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. So we see the Bible tells us that he fulfilled the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. He was that lamb. He was the final lamb that the shepherds had been looking for. That's why the angels came to them. Because their job was to raise the lambs for the sacrifice. What a, what a, I wouldn't have liked that job. The angel said, today is born a savior, which is what? Christ the Lord. In other words, the angels were telling them, listen, your job is coming to an end. Your job is coming to an end. You will no longer be required to do this. You will no longer have to bring your turtle doves. You will no longer have to bring your meal offering. You will no longer have to slay your, your cow. Because when he said, it is finished, it is paid. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. In other scriptures, it tells us what he said. Father, into thy hands commend I my spirit and the veil of the temple. See, God doesn't just make up stuff. He does it for a purpose. The shepherds were told, in other words, your job is finishing. Let's go back to the story now. So now, the shepherds used this tower to actually take the lambs that were going to be chosen for the sacrifice. And you know what they would do because they didn't want them to get blemished or hurt. They would wrap them up in swaddling clothes. During the lambing season, the sheep were brought to the tower from the fields as the lower level functioned as a birthing room for the sacrificial lambs. Being themselves under special rabbinical care, these priests, shepherds, would strictly maintain a ceremonially clean birthing place. Once birthed, the priestly shepherds would routinely place the lambs in a hewn depression of limestone rock known as the manger. So they could be inspected for the quality of being. Now all of this is documented. That's why when the angels said, you will find him in the manger, they knew where to go. Because there were many mangers or, 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 or barns in Bethlehem. And the sign was that he would be wrapped up just as the lambs that they would wrap up for the sacrifice. The newborn lambs were to be unblemished, so they wrapped up in swaddling clothes for protection. And they placed them in the manger. It was the area of the temple flocks that Jesus, the Lamb of God was born in one of the caves used as a stable and was wrapped in the swaddling clothes and placed in the manger. See, they didn't have to ask which manger because there was a place they already knew. And that's why in the book of Micah 4.8, it prophesies that that's where they were to go and look. Not only does it say which city, that it was Bethlehem, but it tells exactly where specifically Jesus was going to be born. Isn't that awesome? Amen. 
the angels told them, listen, your job is coming to an end. No longer will there be a requirement for you to do this. Because here comes the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, that taketh away the sins of the world. Isn't that awesome? We don't serve a mythology. We don't serve something that's made up. The Bible says that he was seen by more than 500 people after his resurrection. You know, the, 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 the Jews say, well, they made it up. But would you be willing to die for a lie? If they had made it up, you think they would be willing to just die for something they knew was not true? No, they wouldn't. Let's look a little bit deeper at this story. Luke 7, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she brought forth her son, the firstborn, and wrapped him up and laid him. Now in the, in the, in the King James, it says, in the manger. That's the literal translation. It's got an indefinite article, in the manger. Uh, in your King James, it may say a manger, but in the literal Greek, it's got a definite article because there was not for them a place in the guest chamber. And this is to you the sign. You shall find the babe wrapped up lying in the manger, not a manger. And that's why they knew where to look. And they came having hasted and found both Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. See, that's why this was peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The sin offering would not have to be done anymore. Now all God wants from you is a broken and a contrite heart. Amen. That's all the sacrifice that God is looking for from us today. No longer do you have to bring your turtle dove or your meal offering or your lamb. Amen. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Paul says that he hath broken down the middle wall of partition that was separating us. Amen. When he came, the Bible said he made peace. He made peace. The enmity that was against us, the, the, the ordinances that were against us, which required us, which re- required the shepherds every day to find two more lambs that were just going to be killed. The shepherds understood. They understood what they were being told. And they came with haste. They knew exactly where to go. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in, it says a manger, but in the Greek it is the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad and the same. They didn't keep it to themselves. Which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in their hearts. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Isn't that awesome? We see that God had a purpose in telling the wise men or the wise men knew and God had a purpose in telling Only about four people or four groups knew what was happening. Yet everybody knew that there was a Messiah coming. It's going to be that way when he comes the second time. Everybody knows he's supposed to come. 
But in the parable, all were asleep, right? The wise and the foolish, all were asleep. Even though they had been told he was coming, they were asleep. The Bible says we have to watch and pray. Because in a time that we think not, that's when it's going to happen. It's amazing if you think about it. They had been prophesied so many times. They even knew where to look. Herod was able to call the, the, the scribes and they were able to look it up in Malachi. In Bethlehem is where you got to go, wise men. That's where it says. But even more than that, it says that it was going to come from the tower of the shepherdess. Where thousands, hundreds of years before Rachel had died. See, this person that was coming, the scripture says, was Christ the Lord, a savior. Made higher than the angels. This person that was going to be born was not just some uh, other baby, not just a king. Hebrews 1, 2 says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. John 1 says, He was in the world. The world was made by him. And the world knew him not. In Genesis 1, 1, who made the world? In the beginning, God created or made the heaven and the earth. God spoke it into existence. In John 1, we're told that that person in the form of Jesus was in the world and the world knew him not. Who being the brightness of his glory. The only image that you're going to see of God will be Jesus. Because God is a spirit who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things. Now, it's interesting how it says this. It doesn't say by the power of his word. It says by the word of his power. Isn't that interesting? It's the word of his power. It's the word that has the power, not the power of his word. The way it's, it's phrased is a completely different from the way we might say it. By the word of his power. That comes first. In the beginning was the when he had by himself purged our sins. How did he do that? By becoming the evening and the morning sacrifice. By becoming the Passover lamb. By being the bread of heaven. By being the first fruits from those that rose from the dead. By being the comforter. Amen. Four of the seven things have been fulfilled. We're waiting for that next one. Where it says the Lord himself. Not sending an angel. It says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of the archangel. And with what? The trump of God. Four of the seven things have literally been fulfilled. We're just waiting for the the next one. Being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee and again I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. You understand that that was Adam's place at one time. The angels were created to serve us. It's in Hebrews. It says, are they not all ministering spirits? What's minister, what does minister mean? 
to serve. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to do what? Minister, serve those who are the heirs of salvation. The angels were created to serve us. But we fell from being a son of God, as I've been teaching, to being a son of man. But Jesus, through his grace and his love, has brought back the opportunity through the infilling of the Spirit to once again become a son of God. Those that are led by the Spirit, to them gave he what? Power to become. We're in the process right now. We still have these earthly bodies. But if you've been filled with the Spirit, you're in the becoming. Paul said, it's not as if I have attained, but I press towards the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. We're on the road. I'm on the road. Maybe you're further down the road than me, but I'm going to catch you up. I'm determined. I wasn't aware of it, but I was told I was brought to church on my third day. And so I've been in church a long time. My parents took me to church on the third day. I, I will take that as meaning something. So I don't want to have come to church all my life. And at the last moment, miss, that, that would be the very worst thing. You know why? Because all of you here would know what's happened. <laughs> I've told that story so many times. You, 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 I've worn it out. But when I was eight, I, I called the police and told them they weren't coming back. <laughs> why? I was so sure about the rapture. From a child, I believed this thing. I'm not about to change now. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son? Jesus Death, the Bible says, now enables us to bring many sons to glory. His death enabled us to receive, just like the prodigal, the ring and the robe. As I said before, the father met him way down the road. First thing he did was cover him. So nobody could see the rags and the mess. He brought the best robe, not the any robe, the best robe covered. Then he put the ring of sonship on his hand. Then they had a party. Isn't God good? The Bible says that he came not as an angel. He had to be incarnated as we saw in previous lessons because man had been given the dominion of procreation. Hebrews 2.17 says, Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. He had flesh. He could feel pain. He got hungry. He could feel sorrow. He could bleed. It behoved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He had to come the way he did as I've taught. When he prayed in the garden, if it was possible, let this cup pass. The fact that he had to go through the cross shows you there was no other way so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest to God pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered. You know, people say to you, man, you just don't understand. <laughs> you just don't understand what I'm going through. You ever heard that? All right, well, I might not, but he does. I guarantee you that he does. Bible says he was in all points tempted such as we are, yet without... The, the truth life of Jesus could not be written down in books. All we're getting is the things that God wants us to know. But he went through a lot more than is even in there. The Bible said the books 
all the books in the world could not contain. But the Bible does tell us he was in all points tempted such as we were. And yet without sin. For in that he himself hath suffered, being able then to succor or aid us. Let me go back here. I want to read this. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He had to come this way. He had to be able to experience what a human being is so that he could take back dominion from Satan. That's why the three temptations started off this way. If thou be a son of God. Only a son of God could take back dominion. A son of man could not. Satan knew why he'd come. And the temptations were all about seeing if he could trip him up just like he did Eve and Adam in the garden. Look at this stone. You could make it into bread. You have no problem. Con- Look at it. And, and you're hungry. It appealed to the flesh. Pride of life, lust of the eye. All of the temptations were there. He said, Look at these kingdoms. It's the same temptation as when he said to Eve, Listen, this will make you wise. You understand it was again a test of sonship. You understand that Satan is going to test your sonship? He's going to give you the same three tests. If you're a child of God, how are you going to handle this situation? You're going to cuss them out? <laughs> going to slap them up the head? Are you going to pray for them? He's going to come with the same temptations. He's saying, in effect, if you are a child of God, this is the easy way. Come on, it's okay. You can do this. God loves you. It's okay. That's when you're going to have to have an it is written somewhere. That's where you're going to have to pull out your word of God. That's where you're going to have to quote some scripture to yourself and say, no, I can't do this. I can't go down that path. Right? You're going to have to have some scripture. You're going to have to say, it is written. Jesus didn't even use his own words. He just quoted from the Old Testament. Do you have a scripture you can quote? When the devil jumps on you and wants to beat you up and take away your joy? Let's summarize a little bit. Let's go over some of the things of why In the last three lessons, we have talked about God becoming man. The first thing, of course, and I never mentioned it before, was to reveal God's true character. According to the book of Hebrews, because of sin, God had to withdraw himself. And he really, for the most part, related to man through the mediatorship of angels. In the Old Testament, how did the message come? Most of the time it says, the angel of the Lord said. It was always through the mediation of angels. Sometimes it was through the mediation of a prophet. Sometimes it was a prophet like Moses. But even Moses messed up. In Ezekiel 36 it said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and found none. There were just no perfect men. And even the angels in the book of Job, he says, he charged his angels with folly. And so you know what? He had to come himself. And the reason why he had to come himself is because the angels could not give the true image of what God wanted to present. Above all things, the Bible said that God is love. 
The angels were like the policemen. All they could do is judgment. <laughs> Only the lawgiver can change the law. Only the lawgiver could say, woman, where art thou thine accusers? Only the lawgiver could do that. The angels would have said stoner. See, the, the, the substitutes could not present the perfect image of who God was. Jesus had to come himself. And for even a long time, his disciples didn't even get it. They said, listen, you see this village, they're rejecting you. Let's call down fire. <laughs> oh, there's been so many times I wanted to call down fire. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. You all wanted to call down fire too. <laughs> Come on, there's been times we all want to call down fire. If we had the magic powers, we could go psh, psh, psh. There'd be so many more murderers if we could get away with it. <laughs> if we absolutely know we could never get caught, boy, there'd be so many more murderers. That was not the image God wanted to present. The angel of the Lord said, stone, stone him for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Right? They didn't know what to do. They went to Moses. Moses didn't know what to do. It says the Lord said, but it was the angel of the Lord said, he needs to stone him. Because all they could do was carry out the effects of the law. Until Jesus came. To show you the true image of Christ, they brought the woman caught in the very act. Of course, they didn't bring the man. I don't know what happened to him. Where was he? What happened to him? Anyway, they brought the woman and there was no, <laughs> there was no doubt. They said caught in the very act. Now, if, if there was ever a time when judgment could have been done, but it shows God's, he wanted to show mercy. He said, listen, you don't even know what spirit you are of. He told the two disciples, because I came not to destroy men's lives. Last Tuesday, if you haven't heard that Bible study, I explained about the three K's in the New Testament about the words judgment. He said, I don't judge you. The words that I speak will judge you. So why God came, the, one of the reasons was to reveal his true character. He came to see if he could reconcile. The Bible says God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. When he came to Jerusalem the last time, he looked at it and he wept. He cried. Because he could see what was going to happen a few short years later where the Romans took down whole forests and crucified more than a million Jews. They lined the roads with Jews. Jesus could see that. He knew that was going to happen. Why? Because they did not understand the time of their visitation. They missed it. That's a warning to us that we don't miss the fact that Jesus right now may be weeping over some people and saying, you're missing it. You don't understand. I'm here to deliver you. I'm here to save you. But he came to reveal God's true nature and that he was the lawgiver. They criticized his disciples for picking corn on the Sabbath. Now, that was a great offense. He said, don't you understand that one greater than the Sabbath is here? See, only the lawgiver can change the law. They criticized him for healing a woman on the Sabbath. And he said, listen, I would like you to understand, and it's twice in the New Testament, 
that I rather have mercy than sacrifice. See, they, under the law, they could not understand that. He came to bring, as I taught, the restoration of the spirit covering. He said, if I don't go, it can't come. Because the revelation is there is only one representation of God on the earth at a time. Started in the garden. There was only one temple. That was the Garden of Eden. Then there was only one tabernacle. Then there was only one temple of Solomon. And inside that temple was the representation of God's presence. Was that golden box, right? That came in two pieces, which inside had the rod of Aaron that budded. It had the tablets that had been broken. And it had a golden vase with the manna. And on top was that golden lid that was called, anyone remember what it was called? The mercy seat. And that place represented the presence of God on earth. But it had to go in order that Jesus could come. Because there's only one representation at a time. In Jeremiah, it tells us that the ark of the Lord had to go. So when Nebuchadnezzar came and he took everything that was in the temple... He couldn't find the ark. It had gone. It had disappeared. You see many documentaries claiming they found the ark of the covenant, but don't believe it. The next place it's seen is actually in heaven. It's in Revelation. It's not on, it's gone. Why? Because Jesus came. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1, it says all these things, it describes, the writer of Hebrews describes all the sermons, all these things had to were blocked the way. The way was not made, made plain until these things were moved out the way. There was no real ark in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. There may have been a copy, but the real ark had been taken. Because now the true temple was Jesus. He stood before the woman and he said, Neither in Jerusalem nor in this mountain, if you knew who was standing right before you, if we knew who was standing right here today before us, sometimes we, we look other places for help. But right here today, right now, we're looking over here for help. Going over here for help. And right here today, the presence of God is right here. He says, knowing not that now you are the temple. See, Jesus was the temple. He had to go so that now what? We can be the temple. We are now the representation of God on this earth. So he had to come to bring the covering spirit and to create new sons of God. He asked Peter, he said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're the prophet. Jesus wanted to pin him down. But who do you say I am? It's a good question. How would we answer it today? Do you really know who he is personally? Can you say thou art the Christ, the anointed, the son of the living God? Has he been the son of the living God to you? That's what he came to do, to birth new sons, to bring us back into sonship. In John chapter 20, when he's praying, he says, I have manifested the name that thou gavest me. 
I have met that in the Greek, the word is phanon. It means to, to make plain, to show. Well, what was the name? It, it doesn't just mean J-E-S-U-S. No, the full, the full name is what Peter said. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what he came to manifest. That's what he came to show us what we have fallen from, that what we can return to, that we have been called to sonship. He came to create new sons. And of course, to restore dominion to the sons of God. He was in the boat asleep and the water's coming in. And of course, they start to get afraid. Now, when hardened sailors get afraid, then you should be afraid. Because <laughs> they, they know storms from just merely a little bit of a high wave. So when they started to get afraid, then it was something serious, right? He woke up and what did he do? He said, peace be still. And they were shocked. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Do you understand that that is the power of a son of God? Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say to yonder mountain, go into the sea and it would go. That is what God has called us back to, to full sonship, to, to, to have power over nature, to restore the dominion. Adam was able to call the animals and they come and they sat at his feet and he gave them, your name is lion. And I'm sure the lion nodded his head, okay. <laughs> he had full dominion. He had full dominion. That's what God came to do, to restore dominion. We read the scripture earlier about when the angel will put one foot on the sand, one foot on the sea, and he will say, let there be no more delay. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, and we get to reign and rule with him. That's one of the reasons he came. He came to be the perfect mediator until the redemption of the body. We see this in Revelation, in the first chapter of Revelation. Where is he standing? He's standing in the temple, but in a certain part of the temple. He's standing among, that's right, the holy place. What was in the holy place? No, that was the most holy place. In the holy place... There was the candlestick. He's standing in Revelation amongst the candlesticks. What is the revelation of the meaning of the candlesticks? The churches. He is standing. Right now. As our mediator. And our advocate. Because he's standing amongst the churches. The Bible says that we have an advocate with God, which is Christ the Lord. He ever liveth to do what? That's why when we say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. We don't have to bring our turtle dove because the Bible says in Hebrews, he entered into heaven with his own blood, there to make intercession for us. That's why we can be perfect or blameless, not because we're not guilty, but because he has paid the price. Because he ever liveth to make intercession. Moses was able to save the people several times. God was about to destroy them. He says, no God, please destroy me first. He made intercession. But even Moses sometimes failed. He was supposed to speak to the rock and he struck it twice. Let's not be like Moses. Let's speak to the rock. 
In the New Testament, that rock is revealed to be Christ. Sometimes we want to crucify him again. Isn't that what that means? It does. He was struck once the first time to bring forth water. He was not to be crucified again. And that's why God was so mad at Moses because he broke the symbology. He struck him the second time because he was so frustrated with the people. He got so mad with the people. But Jesus was only supposed to be struck once. The second time, what was he supposed to do? Speak to him. We can call upon the name of the Lord. Hebrews 4.16 says, what does it say? We can come boldly to a throne of grace, there to obtain what? Mercy. So he is the perfect mediator. Until we get these new bodies, in in Romans 8.20 it says, The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain, to it waiting for what? The redemption, the revelation of the sons of God. The last part of this puzzle is when I get my new body. You young people haven't been groaning, but <laughs> but I have been groaning. Even when it's not verbal, I hear things go creak and crack. And See, I'm waiting for the next part to be the perfect mediator until the redemption of the body. And the other thing he came to do is what? Destroy the works of the devil. Many things this world blames on God are not God at all. Jesus pointed out that they found this man who was born blind from birth. And of course the disciples, the human thinking is somebody did something why he was born this way. God made it plain. Jesus made it plain. No, it wasn't God that did this. It wasn't his parents. This is a work of Satan. I've come to destroy the work of Satan. So item seven, he came to destroy the works of Satan. Amen? Amen. So this is why he had to become man because nobody else could do this. Nobody else could fulfill this. Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He made it known just after he was baptized what his mission statement was. If you remember the story, after he got baptized, he went back to Capernaum. He went into the synagogue and he was handed the book of Isaiah. And he opened it at chapter 61. And he started to read, The Lord hath anointed me to preach what? Good tidings to the poor, right? To set at liberty them that are bound. To bind up the brokenhearted. See, the ones that were bound were the ones in the grave. That's why when he went down there, the Bible said he triumphed. He made an open show of Satan. He released every righteous soul from the grave. The Bible said he led a train, captivity captive. And deliver them through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. In John, I believe, uh, 12, they say, listen, who are you talking about, Abraham? You're not, you're just barely 30 years old. <laughs> you talking about Abraham? He said, Abraham rejoiced 
to see my name. Before Abraham was, I am. He used the, the very name of God. And that's when they said, well, we're going to stone you. Therefore, wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Isn't that awesome? That we can come boldly to a throne of grace. That we, as I said, do not have to be like the shepherds, always having to sacrifice something. The only thing God wants from you is a broken and a contrite heart. He came and he revealed his true nature, as I said. John 3.16, very famous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. Our job right now is not to condemn. No, no, it's not to condemn. We speak truth, but we're not the judge, right? That's not our role. We can speak truth. We can say, this is what scripture says, but we are not to pass sentence, if we try and do that, we're taking God's job. We're doing like those two disciples who want to call down fire. Shall we call down fire and show them who's boss? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn. That's that Greek word, krino. It means to, 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 to damn in that sense. Um, that's where we get the word criminal from. Once the sentence has been passed in the Greek krima, that's where we get the word criminal from, when the sentence is passed. Before that, it's krino, meaning time of testing. And then we get to the word crisis, which is the verdict. We're not the ones to pass the verdict. Oh, no. All we can do is spread the word. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. To send us the spirit covering. Nevertheless, in John sixteen seven, running out of time here. I tell you the truth, the expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come. It's what I was saying to you, that on, on any given time on earth, God has only had one representation of himself. We are now the temple. Isn't that awesome? Knowing not, Paul says that you are now the temple of God. That's why we should treat where we go, what we do, how we dress, because this is supposed to be the place where God's spirit dwells the temple was a place of veneration you didn't just walk in the temple you didn't just treat it any old how did you no because if you did that you would die and that's what we are supposed to do is to treat this temple just like that and when jesus had cried with a loud voice he said father into thy hands i commend my spirit having said this he gave up the ghost for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. And this is what I was saying, one of his purposes, in bringing many sons unto glory. Isn't that great? In bringing many sons unto glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through his sufferings. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become. We're in the becoming. To become the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on his name. What is his name? All right. What is his name? Amen. I think you know it now. Even to them that believe on his name. If you could stand with me.
He came to restore the dominion. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You see, Psalms 115 verse 16 tells us what God's original plan was. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. He's going to restore what was stolen from us. He is our mediator. Hebrews 9.15 And for this cause he is the mediator. The advocate, the go-between. Our high priest of the New Testament. That by means of death... For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Hebrews 12, 24 says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood spoke vengeance, judgment. Jesus' blood speaks covering, forgiveness, life. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Here's the scripture that tells that he came to destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. As I said, we know he wasn't born on December 25th, but I'm so glad he was born. That he came as a man and truly understands what you're going through. Hallelujah. We're going to close this Sunday school, but I hope you've been blessed. I hope your faith has been edified. I hope that you will hold on a little bit more as we come into 2024. Don't be like Moses. Don't strike the rock twice. It's time for you to speak to the rock, to cry aloud to grab a hold of him. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for your word today. Let it boost our faith. Let us grab hold a little more tighter, oh God, onto your chain of love, Lord God, that you can pull us out of any situation. Lord, we ask right now, Lord Jesus, that your blessing be bestowed upon us, Lord God. Even as we face many situations, Lord, we know that you will be right there with us. Lift us up, Lord God. Lord God, we rebuke every spirit of doubt and fear. Lord, let your word go forth with power and anointing in our second service. We thank you for your goodness and your grace, and we give you all of the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's put our hands together. Give God a praise offering.